do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a brand new podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty, and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University, where we align what it feels like happened in Super Netball over the weekend to what the stats, the real, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort conveyancing, finance and insurance. And that's if it's a simple deal. All-in-one property can help you handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadarung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Now, round one has been run and won, Aaron. Yeah, and a really great week from a statistical perspective. Like, I was really looking forward to this episode because <laughs> one of my favourite things is digging through the archives to compare, you know, unique statistical performances, and this round threw up some really interesting ones to dive into. You must be so much fun at parties, Aaron. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I've been told. <laughs> well, look, last year our listeners will know that we looked exclusively at the numbers that mattered to the Melbourne Vixens, but this year we're covering the entire league. So we're going to start each episode with a really quick statistical rundown of the round's games. A friend of the pod, Michael Hutchinson, who's a former Super Netball stats analyst himself, he does this brilliant little Twitter series called The Wash Up, where he pulls out some really interesting numbers from each game just after the final whistle. I thoroughly recommend uh, you follow him if you don't already, we often retweet him on the Real versus Field Twitter account, so you can easily find him that way. So drawing on Michael's expertise, why don't you take the first centre pass, Aaron, and tell us sort of the top line stats from the opening match, which in a shock to many saw the Pies beat the Swifts. Yeah, and a surprising one here as well that it was so high scoring. You know, Magpies at 71 to the Swifts 63, the Pies equal highest score since round four, 2022. Um, likely helped out by Nelson having 53 goals at 100%. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That helps. And a massive defensive effort from Jody Ann Ward with yeah. nine gains, eight deflections, four intercepts, and only seven penalties. So a very nice game from her. Uh, the goals from gains, a stat that we really like looking at. Uh, the Magpies were well ahead in this one, 10 uh, to the Swiss. Five, uh, and that was really led by the Magpies having 16 gains to the Swift seven. <laughs> um, An interesting one from this was that the Magpies only had one more shot attempt than the Swifts, but it was the shot misses yeah. which really made a difference. The Swifts out in this one 12 to 4. Yeah, kills you. Now I'm going to sort now, of have... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go. second centre pass, right? Yep. You know? Yeah, that's Vixens right. V Fever. Vixens v Fever. Great game. Yeah, look, out. well, many of many people had this game, you know, this is obviously the grand final rematch. They had this penciled in as game of the round and it didn't disappoint, did it? With the result really only, well, it was only decided in the dying moments. And, of course, the winning goal was shot by who else but 
Janelle Fowler. So that saw the Fever win 62-61 over the, the Vixens. It also means the Fever have won the last three times that they've played the Vixens. Of course, the last two games of last year, that first final, where I think you and I were courtside from memory, Aaron. And then, of course, the grand final, where they really did a number on the Vixens. And the Vixens didn't lead after about the four-minute mark in the first quarter. So the fact that they were with in there for a shot towards the end is probably a little bit of a, a worry for Fever. Fowler, 55 from 55 at 100%. Another MVP performance from her. We're going to talk about her uh, a little bit more. Um, and then also I think we have to mention Alice Teague Neal, 39 feeds, 20 goal assists, three deflections. I mean, we kind of could go on and on about this game a little bit, but we better not. Aaron, what have you got? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll back up that thought you had there about the Fever maybe being a little concerned about this one because, mm. you know, the Fever's defence here was almost more Vixens-like in this game where they outgained the opposition and outscored the Vixens from their games. Um, and a quirk in this game was despite losing, the Vixens had six more goal attempts than mm. the Fever. And so as a Vixens fan, looking at this one statistically, you'd almost be happy to see yeah. this result of only going down by one goal when there is a little bit of room for the Vixens to improve uh, on what they put out there. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Simone McInnes, A, they've got that trip out of the way. You continually hear that from the Vixens camp that let's just get Perth over and done with. They nearly got the result um, and also she didn't have Joe Weston. She didn't have Rani Samerson to call on. And Mannix went off at, at one stage with a really big clash uh, with Verity Simmons, uh, had to go off and be assessed for concussion. And as you say, lots of work-ons for them, which is a very Simone McInnes thing. What are we going to do, you know, next time that, that we meet them? And that brings us to Sunday. So the team that you were big raps for last week, Aaron, the Lightning, didn't just beat Julie Fitzgerald's Giants in her milestone game. They uh, they thumped them, and I think that's being nice. Yeah, 65 to 50. Uh, you know, we talked about the Magpies having one of their biggest scores. This is the flip side of that for the Giants, their second biggest loss ever. Um and just some massive disparities statistically in mm. this one, um, 57% to 43% time in possession, um, huge penalty disparity, 65 to the Giants and 35 to the Lightning, um, huge differential in shot attempts, 77 to 51. That's a plus 26 for the Lightning. Debatable to say you could ever win a game <laughs> taking 26 shots less than your opponent. Uh, and then some huge individual performances from Lightning's players, Conan, 50 goals at 89%, and Dehaney, 10 deflections, seven gains, four intercepts, and another really clean example with only six penalties. Yeah, and we're going to talk about now, her later on as well, aren't we? Yeah, of course. We have to go back to the Lightning because <laughs> I'm, I'm all about them at the moment. Uh, last one for you. Uh, and uh, another interesting one to wrap the round up, the Firebirds versus the Thunderbirds. Yeah, this one felt a little bit all over the place, didn't it, watching from home? But the Thunderbirds of new, unlike the Thunderbirds of old, they actually managed to get it done and get the win, even though they it felt like at times they might be slipping back into old habits. Eleanor Cardwell actually went back to goal shooter and made a real difference there where she started at, at goal attack. So the T-Birds actually ended up getting up 59 to 44 over the Firebirds. So it sort of represents something like a 23-goal turnaround, which is just huge even mentally for them to be able to get back from that. Firebirds still haven't 
one around one match. That's something they wouldn't be very proud of, I'm sure. And it was also one of their lowest scores ever in Super Netball too. So, I mean, we're going to talk about Sterling later on as well. With 11 gains, which included five intercepts, a bunch of rebounds, very few penalties. I think she had about seven in the end. Yeah, and I tell you what, uh, after all the talk of the Thunderbirds over the off-season, yes. uh, you know, people were ready to count them out on Twitter about yep. one or two quarters into this game, I think. But a huge second-half turnaround, 32-16 to 16 was the scoreline in the second half in favour yeah. of the Thunderbirds. A lot of that, I think, came from the nosedive that the Firebirds center-pass-to-goal <laughs> percentage took from the first quarter. It was up at 71%, all the way down to 38% by the fourth quarter. And our quirky stat from this one, Shamira Sterling actually had more net points in the second half than the whole Firebirds team, which I doubt you see happen too often. Ouch, that's next level from Sterling, isn't it? And it really shows you sort of that, yeah, the, the Firebirds really just fell in a hole. I think it's interesting to talk about that centre pass conversion. I think so much of that had to do with Lara Dunkley going to the bench and not coming back on. Um, it, yeah, I think the, the big thing for me was the defence, I guess, just to be entirely predictable. Um, it, you know, I think Tilly Garrett, you know, Latanya Wilson, Sterling, they're all pretty well practised now in kind of just keeping on, keeping on in defence, but it really does finally look like they now have an attack line that can repay the faith. Um, but now let's sort of dig into our subjects for today. So dare I say it, that a key theme from this round really was defence. It was something of a, the PG rating that we always talk about. It was a bit of a PG ratings Olympics even. Is, is that too much, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, it's probably pushing it a little bit too much, but I know <laughs> we like chatting about the, the defensive numbers on this podcast and it was a huge huge game for that, particularly in the context of this penalties to gains yep. ratio where we're looking at the relative number of penalties a defender gets to the amount of gains they take away from the opposition. And so lower numbers are, are better here when you want that ratio, so less penalties to the amount of gains you get. And there were some really specific uh, individual performances from this round that stood out in this area. Yeah, look, we had a few people reach out to us sort of asking questions for, for your segment that's coming up soon, uh, specifically about Katie Ann Tahaney's performance and then Shamira Sterling's kind of quickly on the back of that, the stats that they had around how many penalties, how you know, to how many gains they had. I know Georgia Doyle from Twitter raised this specifically, wanting to understand just how significant those efforts at the weekend were. So Dehaney ended up with eight gains and six penalties against the Giants. We want to know, is that the best PG rating that we've seen in Super Netball? Do we see players get more gains than penalties? Is that normal? Or it, it feels like maybe it doesn't happen a lot, even though we know we do have some pretty clean defenders out there. And then, of course, we had Jodie Ann Ward. We can't overlook her either, the MVP in the Collingwood um, match, who, you know, had amazing numbers. Sterling, another Jamaican, um, who ended up with 11 gains for seven penalties. So what does history tell us here, Aaron? Yeah, so, like, characteristic of these performances as well was how many gains these players yeah. got. You know, you we talked about this uh, of the social media on the weekend too, like, when you get into that three, four or five gain territory, that's when you're looking at a good game from a defender. And so what I did was I looked for players who had games with five or more gains yep. and on the other side of this, as many or fewer penalties yep. within that match. And I looked at this across you know, since back to 2010 was when they really started recording gains in yeah, this um, way. these competitions. Yep. So across that period, this notion of five or more gains and less 
uh, penalties has been achieved 122 times by 53 unique players. And so this equates to happening about 14% of matches across ANZ Championship and Super Netball history. So to see this in 75% of games in one round is probably a bit of a statistical anomaly. So I was right. Um, is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't happen too often. It, it, it perhaps happened more than I expected, but not too often. And now we were like, you know, who who does this? You look at yeah. um, a few players doing it over the weekend. Who would yep. your guess be, you know, who's done this the most times? Well, you? if we're thinking about the immediate era, Sterling has to be up there. Carla Batorius has to be up there, obviously, before she had last year off. I think Notorious RBD, uh, Ruby Bakewell-Doran from the Firebirds as well. But thinking a little bit further back, perhaps Renee Ingalls, maybe someone that plays at wing defence or... Mm. Julie Coletto, so, I, mean, I don't know. You're, you're right on it with Shamira Sterling. She's yep. done this 10 times and, you know, she is, that's the most any player's done it or the equal most any player's done it. And you'd probably argue that she's going to take that number one spot given yeah, sure. where she is at in her career. You mentioned some pretty notable past defensive players, but you forgot one key person who's also done this 10 times and that's Jeeva oh. Mentor. Oh, really? I'm surprised you missed that. Yeah. Yeah, so she she's up there too, and perhaps maybe not the cleanest defender you think of, but perhaps that's offset by the number of gains she can generate. And I um, think she can be clean when she needs and when the moment demands of her. So I'm going to get my defender card taken away from me for not mentioning her. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Some other notable individual performances in this space, mm-hmm. a really weird one was okay. uh, a player who got five gains and zero penalties in a game. That was Joe Harton in 2017. Yeah, wow. yep. Okay. Yep. So perhaps some some intercepts and maybe rebounds were counted as gains in, in that time frame. I'm not entirely sure. But not surprising that a shooter down the other end isn't getting hit with many penalties. Yep. Uh, and a player you mentioned in your list there, Renee Ingalls, yep. grabbed seven games yeah. for one penalty in a game in 2019. So some other notable performances there. Yeah, yeah. It would be, it'd be interesting to see the full list of it because I do think perhaps wing defences, you know, would be starting to get up there after the goalkeepers probably. But I'm not sure about Joe Harton. Does she really count? Like does she count because I mean, she's not I a defender? Set the cutoff, <laughs> I set the cutoff at five games. I didn't. Uh, setting a criteria to how you get those gains. No, so I, maybe... I I do jest. I mean, a shooter like that who can win the ball, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. I think Greta Boweda probably on the international stage is the best example of that. Someone who can turn the ball over, particularly after they've missed themselves, is um, pretty uh, powerful for a team. Now, next, I'd like to focus on turnarounds because, as we mentioned, the Thunderbirds achieved a 23-goal turnaround in their win against the Firebirds on Sunday. And then the Vixens nearly got the chocolates after being um, six goals down at one stage, which obviously isn't as quite as impressive. But where does that Thunderbirds comeback rate in the super shot era? I guess we've got to compare apples with apples there. What's the biggest turnaround that we've seen? Yeah, so there's some examples of really large turnarounds in even going back to the ANZ championship Mm -hmm. period of 30 to 40 goals within a match. Yeah. But this is really when one team gets a really small lead, you know, maybe early in the game, right, right, and the other team blows them out. So, you know, you could say a 40-goal turnaround is when one team leads by one goal early. The one-minute mark, yeah. So you can find those um, stats in in the game history, but I sort of tried to look at ones where there was 
bigger margins on both ends. And there were some notable turnarounds bigger than what we saw on the weekend in the Firebirds and Thunderbirds match. Um, Any Firebirds fans listening who have, you know, this this round one matchup issue where they haven't (laughs) won and there's these big turnarounds, maybe just mute us for a sec because... (laughs) Back in 2020, a round one matchup against the Lightning, uh, the Firebirds were 11 goals up in the second quarter, yet they lost that game by 18, mm. which was a 29-goal turnaround. Mm. Um, so even bigger than their round one match up turnaround against the Thunderbirds. Yep. And also back in 2020, there was a round eight matchup that saw the Magpies up by 11 goals in the second quarter against the Giants, mm-hmm. and the Giants ended up winning this one by 15. So that's a 26-goal turnaround within that matchup. So 23 goal turnaround is in that sort of upper realm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some of those examples where, you know, it's been even bigger. Mm, I think I recall that last one that you mentioned with Collingwood. I, I'm almost certain that involved a lot of super shots from yeah, Joe 100% Harden. 100% did. <laughs> <laughs> we probably don't even need to, to look that one up. D- does this sort of stuff turnarounds, do they happen in finals to, to, the st- to the same extent or does the kind of idea that they're, that they're always a lot closer ring true in the numbers? Yeah, you definitely don't see, I guess, as typically you don't see as big a disparity in finals. The matches tend to be closer. And when a team gets that far up in finals, they're in finals because they're a good team and they don't typically let those leads slide. Uh, perhaps the best contrasting example of what I'm saying, though, was just last year in that, prelim final, Giants versus Vixens, you know, and it wasn't maybe as big a turnaround because, you know, the Vixens were down by 10 in that last quarter and only just one. But But it's a final. Yeah, yeah, it's a final. And the time frame in what that sort of comeback was is perhaps, I think you know, we talked about that on the, the pod last year, that it was perhaps one of the biggest sort of statistical anomalies we saw across the year and yeah. you know in in super netball history I think. Yeah, it was a real classic of the genre. I'm pretty sure I've seen uh Joe Weston mention that on social media when someone said if you're going to go back and watch a game of super netball which one was it? And that's the one that I think the Vixens are always going to pull out of the vault. Obviously they'd been, you know, really uh embarrassed the weeks the week before in that first final against the Fever too. So the fact that they were looking they were staring down the barrel at going out um, in straight sets too. So now a word from our major sponsor. Buying a property seems simple enough, doesn't it? You find a house, you love it, you get a loan from the bank and you sign on the dotted line. In reality, of course, it's much more complicated than that. You've got to get a section 32, get it reviewed, understand all the conditions, then there's securing finance, the right provider, the right deal. Then you need a conveyancer, then you've got to do the paperwork, insurance, and any other property law issues that might pop up along the way. Suddenly, it becomes very complex, paperwork city. That's where All-in-One Property comes in. All-in-One Property helps manage it all or just parts of it, covering conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law. All-in-One Property streamlines the process, helping clients access all the services they need in one place, whether that's one or more. And they've got dedicated customer service specialists to coordinate it all. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now, the next topic for us to dig our teeth into is shooting stars. We saw two 100% games accuracy games in round one from Collingwood's Shimona Nelson and Janelle Fowler for Fever, as we've talked about. How common are 100% games? Who uh, who has the most, Aaron, and why is it 
Janelle Fowler. And I guess who's who's the player with the second most number of 100% games? Because I feel I feel pretty confident that it's going to be the fever redeemer that you tell me has had the most accurate games. Yeah, I may disappoint you, Aaron. Like you're wrong with missing out on Jeeva Mentor earlier and you're actually wrong here. I was honestly surprised. Okay, right? so you were like, wrong too. Uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised when I okay. when I saw these numbers come out. So okay. I guess first off, to clarify, we had to set a minimum goal attempts to consider a perfect game here. I decided yeah. to set that at 10 yep. just because it seemed like a good round number because there's probably many examples of players coming out and shooting one. Or yeah, one or coming on for a few number. minutes or, yeah. So is that minimum number of 10 attempts to count for a perfect game? And Janelle Fowler has actually achieved this eight times in her ANZ Championship Super Netball career, mm-hmm. which puts her at equal third on the list for the number of perfect third. games. She does, however, hold four of the top five spots for the number of goal attempts in perfect games. Right? Okay, so volume-wise we're talking. Yeah, yeah right? okay, yep. But when she shoots, uh, you know, she shoots the most likely out of, of many shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when she has a perfect game, it's with a high number of attempts. And that includes a 60-attempt perfect game yeah. last year. Yep. So... Nearby on this list, we have Linnie's Pock Eater with eight perfect games, equaling Janelle Fowler there Mm -hmm. uh, at number three on the list. Mm -hmm. And then at number two on the list, we have Irene Van Dyke with Uh, nine. Of course, yeah. Shimona Nelson Mm -hmm. sits just below them, having done this seven times. And this was a really surprising thing for me. The leader for this statistic is just way out in front with 26 perfect games. Wow. When I saw that, I was like, that's Janelle Fowler. That's more than a season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if you'd guess, Aaron, I'm going to give you a clue this time. You've been missing out a little <laughs> bit so far. So this player, 26 perfect games in their shooting history. And they seem to have made some waves early this week that they're coming back to playing in Australia. Oh, okay. Queensland, okay. I believe. Okay. So Kat Tuavati. Yeah. 26 perfect games. Wow. Yeah. I mean, of course, of course. She didn't make many errors at all. But how could I not have thought of her? And not a bad inclusion for the... Gold Coast Titans up in the, the yeah, Sapphire I mean, League, I think it's called. See how many perfect games she racks up this year. Yeah, wow. Well, look, I have to say, though, here, just quickly, we are definitely going to have to make a note to focus on our hardworking midquarters in the next couple of episodes because we've definitely been all about the bookends uh, this episode. We've already got a few um, questions in the bank about centre pass conversions and so on, so we'll make sure to, to focus on that. Now it's been, it's been two weeks, Aaron, and we haven't talked about my favourite Vixens midquarters at all. We haven't actually. We haven't talked about many midquarters at all, so we must must rectify that. Now it's time for Fox Answers the Fans. Um, we had a few people asking about Katie and Tahaney's amazing game, but we've already chatted about that. So we thought we'd go in a totally different direction with a question from Claire, who goes by uh, C underscore Jones 92 on Twitter, who wanted to take a look at one of my favourite parts of our modern game, not the super shot. Claire writes, I'd be curious to know whether the volume of shots scored in the final five minutes has changed since the super shot was brought in. So Claire is wanting to compare and contrast what happens in the last five minutes of games pre and post introduction of the super shot, um, which was first used in 2020. How do you sort of tackle this one? And what did you find out, Aaron? Yeah, I think this question stems from a bit of the frantic kind of gameplay that that comes in that last five yes. minutes of the quarter sometimes and the mess. thinking that, that the pace has been elevated. So here we looked at the number of attempts each game in the last five minutes of quarters and compared this from when the sh- super shot's been introduced versus the three years prior. 
so before the super shot, we saw about 11 to 11 and a half attempts mm. per quarter in the last five minutes of each game. So if you split that evenly across two teams, you're getting about five or six shots mm-hmm. per team. Mm-hmm. When the super shots come in in those years uh, since it's been in, we're seeing about 11 and a half to 12 attempts okay. per quarter each game in the last five minutes. So there is a slight, if anything, bump in the number of attempts we're seeing. Mm-hmm. But how small this increase is, I wouldn't think it would be too noticeable mm. you know, in gameplay. And so um, it's perhaps something else about the game that's maybe driving this question or what mm. um, you know, our, our viewers are seeing in that last five minutes of the quarter. Something to dig into into future episodes, I think. But regardless, a great question there from Claire. And as I said last week, we'd absolutely love, you know, to get all the listeners involved in the show. So please send some questions for Aaron. The curlier, the more difficult, uh, you know, the more obscure, the better. Um, get on your favourite social media platform using the hashtag RealVFeel and we'll hopefully get him to answer them in future episodes. Yes. Now, Erin, we did say last week that it wasn't all about my segments. We introduced the concept of Della Bluntsley. Yes. And I feel like as the year goes on, I'm going to get smoother and smoother at saying that. <laughs> and it might almost become what I what I call you. But I don't know. what's caught your eye this week? Well, look, a change to the way the Super Netball Player of the Year, which has been won by Janelle Fowler for five years in a row now, and the team of and how the team of the year are voted for. So a change was announced on the eve of the season last week, but didn't sort of get too much coverage. So this year, an independent voting panel made up of three people, drawn from the media, past players and umpires, and high performance coaches and selectors. They're going to award a three-two-one votes each game, and that will decide the end of year awards. So pre. Previously, votes were collected from the players, coaches and some high performance staff involved in each home and away game. So from where I sit, I think this is a positive change as you're going to have more varied viewpoints feeding into this process. So not just the opinions of those within the high performance space who are naturally going to have, I guess, a specific focus. I'm not sure if this is going to loosen Fowler's stranglehold on the player of the year gong. She's as impressive to a journalist as she is to a coach as she is to a selector, I think. But it's amazing to think that only one other player in Jeeva Mentor has ever won it for Super Netball. And that was way back in 2017 when she was the captain of the Sunshine Coast Lightning in their inaugural year and I think Fowler might have still been playing in New Zealand at that time but I think I like this change it aligns more with what other major codes do so put bluntly I approve and I'm here if you need someone to award votes super netball bosses ah you're throwing your hat in the ring hit me up you know the rate the way round one went uh and you look at the MVPs given in those matches like um you go this could be the year that a defender challenges Fowler with three of those matches. But then I realised that Fowler was the MVP in the other game, wasn't That's she? That's right. I mean, I think Nelson was pretty hard done by, wasn't she, to probably play one of her best games ever of Super Netball and then to not take the MVP. But well, now it's time. Maybe it's all about the defenders this year. This year. It's time now, Aaron, for you to bask in the glory of your rightness because last week I asked you for a prediction for round one in a segment we're calling uh, Shot in the Dark, and you did pretty well, my friend. You picked the Lightning to beat the Giants with a caveat, of course, that Joe Harden, injured Joe Harden wouldn't play, which she didn't. So the floor is yours. Yeah. Look, I really just wanted this prediction for round one to show how early I've jumped on the Lightning bandwagon. <laughs> I feel like 
it's starting to get a bit heavy on there after round one, but I was an early adopter. Okay, I'm going to clip this for you and I'll file it away, okay? Thank you. Please do. <laughs> Lose it if they start losing, though. <laughs> <laughs> and what about a shot in the dark for this round that's coming up? Yeah, so we've already seen some big margins in round one this year. There was a 16 and a 15 goal differential in two of the games. Um, and since 2020, only 7.5% of games have had higher margins than those two blowouts we ah, saw over the weekend. Right. So not many games uh, go above that. Look like that. Okay. Uh, I hate to do this, but I'm going to pick on the Giants again this week okay. as they have a pretty tough matchup against the West Coast Fever. Yes. Um, even though how rare these big blowout games are, uh, I have a feeling, or I guess I'm predicting, yep. that we're going to see another 15 sort of plus margin over the weekend in this game, uh, perhaps not in the direction that Giants fans would hope. I, f I do feel that you perhaps will be right, but we we will see. I mean, the, the if Harton's, you know, still not back for a few weeks, we're going to see those shooters going to get more and more exposed, the giant, young Giants shooters together, and maybe they'll be able to step up a little bit, but they've got a pretty handy defence end to be facing. But as always, I've made a note of that one, and we shall report back next week. Well, that's a wrap for our second episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel, and send us your Fox and answers the fans' questions using the hashtag RealVFeel. All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider. What does that mean? It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just some. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.